Hey gang, welcome to episode 171 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles, and this episode is brought to you by our friends, and I think legitimately I can I can say friends now, at Meow Wolf. Um, more on that in a moment on the back half of the show. Uh, this episode is a special talkback episode that was recorded uh, after uh, This Is Not a Theater Company's Cafe Play, after one of the uh, instances of Cafe Play. Uh, Catherine Yu does the uh, moderating duties. Aaron Me is our primary guest, along with the cast of the show. And uh, you'll hear some... Some folks, uh, Alyssa Kim, Christy Casey, Andrew Hefner, um, all friends of the show who were there for the talkback. And uh, there was there. They were there at the talkback. Um, so you're going to hear a bunch of folks. Uh, it was a talkback recorded in a uh, you know live environment. It was done with a Yeti mic. So, you know, sometimes uh, it's a little, a little on the quiet side. But uh, let me know if you like this uh this episode, if you like this format, because I, I think this is something we could, uh, we could do more on the regular. Um, we could, we could set up some after show talkbacks. Um, we just finding new ways to oh, touch the mic, uh, finding new ways to do this thing. All right. Uh, speaking of, uh, events where you can find us No, that's a terrible segue, but I did it anyway. Um, number one, just as a reminder, applications for the immersive design summit are open. Um, we've got till November 18th. So, uh, the clock is ticking there. Um, we're not done announcing everyone who's going to be speaking yet. We've got a couple, uh, a few more couple, a lot more than a couple, got a few more, uh, in the back pocket that we're going to start telling everybody about as we march towards, uh, the deadline and just, you know, it's, uh, it's worth it. <laughs> just straight up. If you're if you're a creator, if you're making this stuff, uh, if you want to connect with other people who are doing it, if you want to try and uh, you know up your professional game and and get a, a full spectrum sense of just where all this is going, um, that weekend we're going to have in San Francisco is uh, your best bet. Full stop. Okay. Um, now on to some other events we've got going on. Uh, in Los Angeles on November the 5th, uh, we've got Meet the Press featuring Brian Bishop, Juliet Bennett, Ryla, and myself. That is a Leia production at Thymele Arts. It's just five bucks at the door, cash or Venmo, because um, we're paying rent on the space. Um, there you go. Uh, uh, we don't need all that many people to clear the rent, uh, but it, the room holds uh, between like 40 and 50 folks, and you got a chance to get some knowledge dropped on you from people who do this press thing day in, day out about what works and what doesn't work about press releases and getting attention from reporters and uh, best practices and also the mistakes, the mistakes everybody makes. So check that out. Uh, RSVP on Facebook for that one. Uh, Everything Immersive Meetup also on 
November 5th in New York City. So if you're in New York, uh, check that out. On November 10th, I will be speaking at the Denver Immersive Summit along with Jenny Weinblum, who's heading up Meow Wolf's Denver project, and uh, Lonnie Hanson, who is uh, one of the backers of this show, uh, along with a bunch of other folks. Those are those are the, the big speechurations. Um, and that's the... Um, that's the schedule right now. Uh, definitely going to have some more stuff coming up uh, after that. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> got to get through a few things and book more because uh, it's a busy season. So about the Patreon for a second. Uh, we have cleared uh, the most recent goal. Thanks, everybody, for that. And we're marching forward. Uh, we're over 200 uh, backers now. That's just, that's That feels amazing. We're, under, we're over 200 backers, 200 people a month. Um we can be more. I know we can be more, uh, but let's uh, thank the folks who've jumped in most recently, and uh, I may butcher a few names. So as always, tell me what's up. Uh, Ty Wen, Jen Rutsky, Martha on the Move, Eric Jenke, Zach Leba. Uh, thank you all for joining up. Uh, again, if I messed up anybody's name, please holler at me. Um, we have a we have a protocol now that I'm supposed to do where I like you know message everybody on Patreon and be like, oh hey, give me your pronunciation and hey, give me your social media. Um, and of course, because I was out of town for part of the week, uh, that didn't happen so much. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Butman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Arthur Tubman, Mark Baltazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you all, gentlemen, for keeping this thing alive and to again our friends at meow wolf which i finally got to visit this week so i'm gonna do a long form on the irregular but um we'll do a little bit of talking about that after this talk back of this is not a theater company's cafe play moderated by Catherine Yu. <laughs> So I am Catherine Yu, and I'm the managing editor of No Persinium, and tonight we're speaking to... I'm Erin Mee, and I'm the artistic director of This Is Not a Theater Company. Why is it not a theater company? Well, actually, it is a theater company, but... Um, <laughs> but uh, and that is just our little homage to Magritte. Um, but the truth is that the very first piece that we did... Um, was a piece I had wanted for years to be invited to the party that Picasso threw for Henri Rousseau in 1908 Paris. And Gertrude Stein was there, and Alice Toklas, and Georges Brock, and um, somebody fell asleep, and a candle dripped on their head, and they ended up with this cone. And at some point, a donkey wandered in and ate the flowers off of Alice Toklas's hat. And so I wanted to be at that party, but as old as I am, I was not born uh, in 1908. And so I wasn't invited. Um, so I thought at one point, I kept trying to think, you know, how could I make this party into a theater piece? And I finally thought, I'm just going to gather some friends in a room and we're going to do this. And so we started playing around. And actually, one of the things we started with was the Dance of Chocolate, which you had tonight as part of Cafe Play. We've recycled that little dance. Um, and we were trying out a bunch of other things and ideas about cubist theater, right? We know what a cubist painting looks like. We know what a cubist sculpture is. Um, Gertrude Stein has written 
she calls it the continuous present, but I would argue that it's cubist uh, literature. And so what is a cubist piece of theater? And so that was another one of the things that we were playing with. And so we created um, a, a, an interactive dinner party um, based on that uh, 1908 party. And then we had to create a theater company to you know, to sort of market it and everything. And so then we thought, oh, well, this is not theater, but it is theater, but it isn't theater. So then we went with our homage to Magritte. So you started with a dinner party. Right. And somehow you've expanded to, and I hope this list is correct, the Staten Island Ferry, mm -hmm. the N, L, and what's the other line? Seven. Seven line. And you also did a play in a pool. So mm -hmm. how did we get there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so while we were working on the dinner party, Jessie Bayer um, started this company with me. She and I founded it together. Um, and uh, she's taking a bit of a hiatus for um, health reasons. But as we were working on the dinner party, we began, one of my students came into class one day and said, have you heard of pod plays? And I said, no, what's a pod play? <laughs> and um, he handed me this, or he gave me a link to this article where in Canada, someone had done, uh, they'd actually hacked a production of Moliere. So they bought a bunch of tickets to the balcony seating in this Moliere piece and done a kind of recording of an academic kind of critique of the production of the play. And so the pod play was you went up into the balcony and listened to the pod play while you were watching the actual play. <laughs> and then, right, and we won't get into the ethics of all that <laughs> right now. That's another issue. But, but then there was another company, um, uh, I think they're called New World Theatre in Canada, and they began to do these site-specific uh, audio plays and I heard them and listened to them and really loved them but to me they weren't they still had sort of you know and on this corner take a left and they still had the stage directions as part of the play so I said to Jesse I'd really love to do a pod play but I want to take out the stage directions I want to you know make it a real theatrical experience so will you do this with me and she said yes so then we started making a list of places that we thought we wanted to make a pod play. One of them was a swimming pool, one of them was the Staten Island Ferry, and one of them was the subway. So the subway was too complicated, so we put that on hold. And we chose the, the Staten Island Ferry. And so we made a pod play called Ferry Play for the Staten Island Ferry. While we were working on that, I was doing laps in the pool in my gym. Bless you. And, um, and I thought, oh, we shouldn't be doing a pod play in the pool. We really need to feel the water. We need to feel the, I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but they sometimes feel like there are tides in a swimming pool. And, oh, definitely. You know, the waves yeah. and the temperature and the way the water feels on your body and the smell of the chlorine and the multi-sensory-ness of it. Um, so in fact, actually, pool play, as that became known, was the first public performance that we did, even before we did this 1908 dinner party. That turned out to be the second thing. And then um, we started recording and working on fairy play. And then once we had done a pod play, the 
the Staten Island Ferry is 18 and a half minutes uh, from Manhattan to Staten Island and 18 and a half minutes back. I know this because we timed it on multiple occasions. <laughs> we rode the ferry back and forth and back and forth. We talked about who was on it and you know how it felt and the wind and everything and a lot of that Jesse ended up writing into the piece. Um, and, uh, and then we began to time things. We wanted to um, include some selfies because people do that and so then we had to time sort of what you know, when does the ferry begin to come close enough to the Statue of Liberty that you would want to take a selfie? And when does it start, you know, pulling so far away that it's not the optimal selfie time? So we thought, okay, between four and six minutes is when this should occur. And then, blah. so we began to time it out like that. Um, so that was ferry play. And once we had learned how to do that, we began to tackle the MTA. Uh, um, <laughs> and um, it's actually interesting because many people have, you know, emailed me to say, I was amazed, you know, when you said, oh, we're going outside or we're outside. We had just gone outside. And I'm always thinking, Whew, oh, it worked because with the MTA, as you know, you can, you know, who knows when it's going to not work or shut down or do this or go on some other track or whatever. Right, or so, have like a pizza rat or something. Yeah, right, you know. Um, so that became, you know, our next play. And then we brought pool play back uh, last spring? 2017. 2017. Uh, and at one point, Amanda and Katie, who are both in Cafe Play, you just saw them here, um, they were also both in pool play, and we were sitting around the pool and chatting. And I said, you know, I just keep overhearing these conversations in cafes, and I think it would be a great play, and I keep trying to write it down, and then I don't get it right, and it's not, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And in Paris, the cafes, you know, they really understand cafes because they put the seats back against the wall and you face out. There's no facing the other person you're sitting with as though we're gonna have a conversation. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. You face out and you people watch. And mm -hmm. that is what you do in a Parisian cafe. And so I thought, well, what if we, so we began talking about doing a play in a cafe. And then I talked to Jesse about it and then I talked to Colin about it and then I talked to Jenny Lynn about it. and. Every, we sort of started talking about, you know, what scenes do you think should be in there, and et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then here we are tonight in Cafe yeah, Play. wonderful. So what aspect of this kind of performance really keeps you going? Like, what kind of holds your fascination? I love a number of things about it. I would say that for me, the the multi-sensory nature of it, the fact that you're eating during the play, so you're eating the salad, you're smelling, I hope, the thyme and the rosemary and the lemon balm that I put on the table, the sage. Um, so many proscenium plays are used two out of the five senses. They use sight and sound. And if you smell something, it's outside the framework of what is supposed to be quote unquote part of the play, right? The person sitting next to you, if they're wearing too much perfume, you're supposed to ignore that. It's not supposed to be part of the play. But I love a play that you can smell and a play that you can touch and a play that you put in your mouth. 
and a play uh, that has a dance of chocolate that you choreograph with your tongue. Uh, and um, I, lo I loved actually tonight that you all did your own John Cage musical accompaniment. There was the scene between the two women who were talking about not wanting to eat the brownie and losing weight and all of you were clinking your sorbet glasses. And to me that's just a long, wonderful John Cage soundtrack to that scene. So I love the idea that it's co-created. I love the idea that when the dance of crayons goes really well, there are people moving with each other and drawing on the tablecloths. And I noticed even you were drawing on the tablecloth technically after the dance of crayons. And I saw you listening and drawing. And so I love that you get to I, you know, do several things at the same time, and it's tactile, and it's... Yeah, I was definitely drawing a cockroach. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, inspired by the play. Yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I love that it begins to be co-created, too. I love that um, you make what you want out of it. You listen to, you know, you pay attention to this, but... You don't pay attention to that because you're busy paying, tasting the vinaigrette on the, you know, salad dressing or whatever. Yeah, awesome. So I only had a few questions for you because early this morning, Erin said, what if I turn the tables on you, Catherine? So she wants to ask me some questions. Did I say turn the tables? I meant just, I think it would be fun. <laughs> I, you know, you, have, you spend a lot of time supporting this kind of work. And it's extraordinarily generous of you. It's extraordinarily generous of Noah. It's been extraordinarily generous of Zay. It's been, you know. And so I have some questions, you know, about what you love about this yeah, kind of work yeah. and why you spend time supporting it. <laughs> and then, um, those of you who can't, who aren't in this room can't see, but we have some amazing, wonderful, wonderful, interactive, immersive, multi-dimensional creators in this room. So I also thought it would be fun to hear from a lot of other people. Here we all are doing this um, work together, love together. Co-creating. <laughs> yeah, co-creating. And also being part of a community that I think um, no Pro is instrumental in bringing us all together. Oh. Well, so. thank you so much. No, no, thank you. It's huge. Uh, so, No Proscenium, we kind of, uh, we say our mission statement is pretty broad. Uh, we are dedicated to advancing the immersive arts. That could be physical, that could be digital. Um, like many people in this room, I came to it through Punch Drunk Sleep No More, which was several years ago. Just the fact that it felt very epic and theatrical, but also open and exploratory. It felt kind of like a video game and kind of like role-playing and kind of like being able to lose yourself in this very surreal dream. Mm. And so I really also enjoy that like sensorial aspect, that physicality. Mm. Um, but I see a lot of common threads across things like virtual reality, escape rooms, live action role play. Um, and then at, through my work with Noah, 
um, kind of expanding. So he covers a lot of the immersive theater in LA. Mm -hmm. I cover a lot of the immersive theater in New York, especially now that Zay is a vagabond in South America. Um, <laughs> Sidetrack. So Zay and Noah knew each other from high school, college years. And when Noah started No Persinium in LA, he really wanted a New Yorker correspondent. Mm. So he reached out to his very good and very old friend until about, I'd say, late last year? Uh, around December or so, um, we realized that Zay was going to be leaving the country. He may not have an internet connection. He was going around Colombia and things like that. So Noah brought me on, and we've kind of been slowly also growing our purview. So mm -hmm. instead of focusing solely on Los Angeles and New York, um, now we have this separate newsletter called No Pro North America, mm -hmm. which has Canada the United States and Mexico whenever we can find a show. Mm. And so I have been really privileged enough to start talking to creators outside of the major metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember speaking to a woman on the phone from Fayetteville, Kansas, mm -hmm. and she's like, oh, we're the weird only site-specific theater company in this entire town, and we're doing something at bus stops. And I spoke to folks who were doing these kind of outdoor uh, walking promenade tours in Boise, and I'm starting mm. to see stuff in Oklahoma. A lot of people are very inspired by Meow Wolf, so they want to do installation art that's interactive and has lots of narrative elements in their hometowns. So we've really been seeing this kind of explosion across mm. the country, um, all over North America. And what really makes it feel special, I think, is that a lot of folks who are perhaps the only immersive voice in their uh, in their city feel like there's communities of people working in these fields in different places and so trying to like kind of tie all those threads together. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I just wanted to know why you were attracted to this kind of work and you've generously devoted already an enormous amount of time to this community and to bringing us together as I'm looking, you can't see this if you're listening, <laughs> but I'm looking around the room. I, for example, I can't remember when it was, but three or four weeks ago, uh, No Prisini, you came out with a newsletter about 25 of the companies that are working in New York and we're all now on an email list together and we're all sharing ideas and mailing lists and press contacts and hey what do you do about this and hey I'm looking for a actor and we have a Slack channel. <laughs> I, should, I should say my stage manager, Andrew, um, Thank who you, is Andrew. graduating from Purchase, st has studied uh, with Andrew, speak about how you come to be here. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot or anything. Yeah, no, I was like, not expecting you to be um, I studied with David Bassett of the Studio Purchase, so we kind of, we have like a little immersive. Yeah. yeah, so Purchase is coming on board. So this course that you took with David dealt with digital, site-specific, immersive, yeah, transmedia, yeah. interactive. And uh, so Andrew introduced me to Slack. So <laughs> then uh, when Ryan from Sinking Ship said, hey, let's have a, you know, let's all like an email get group. A, have an email yeah. group, I said, how about Slack? <laughs> so, <laughs> so now we're all on Slack. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's, I just am, curious about well so a lot of people come to this from different perspectives different aspects mm -hmm. uh, we often like to call it the the parable of the blind men touching the elephant 
Right. So we're, we're all like, okay, I make something, and it's kind of weird, and it's kind of hard to explain, and it's got like a little bit of escape room, and a little bit of VR, and a little bit of murder mystery, and there's this other installation art aspect, and oh, what if we do it outside, or oh, what if we do it on a boat? And having all of those perspectives together and kind of find that common shared language mm -hmm. is something that we're really invested in because if you kind of zoom out a little, what we've noticed is that there's this emerging trend of location-based entertainment. Yeah. It's kind of this very like techie term, but it's something that a Disneyland and an Evermore and a two-bit circus all fall under, right? So mm -hmm. you go to Evermore and it's a theme park without any rides, but there's actors and there's stories. You go to um, The Void, which is this very interesting collaborative VR experience, but it's a physical set. So the first time I did The Void, uh, they had a Ghostbusters experience at the Wax Museum. So I had to drag my husband to the Wax Museum. Mm -hmm. He's grumbling the whole time. <laughs> this is so expensive. Oh my God, what's going on? And we get in there and they're like, oh, your trainees to become Ghostbusters. And we realized we weren't tethered, so we weren't attached to the wall or some PC system. Mm -hmm. And we had guns and they fired and I put my hand out in VR and there was a door in the VR and I put my hand out and I touched the door and it really freaked me out and later on when I looked into the psychology of it all the fact that the plasticity of the mind can map what's in the VR to like real-world things is incredible um, Jared Lanier has done a study where he put people in VR and he made them lobsters and they started to actually embody the lobster because that's what your brain does. You're like, oh, I'm a lobster now. I'm a stormtrooper now. Wow. Maybe I'm a ghost. And to me, that really mapped back to some of the things that I've been seeing in immersive theater, too. Mm -hmm. You go to Sleep No More, you're a ghost. You go to some of the other pieces, you might be a wedding guest. You might be a fellow patient in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So again, seeing a lot of these same threads coalesce where people go somewhere, they get kind of out of their regular lives, their regular bodies, but they become these different bodies moving through space, going through something together. Maybe my experience affects yours, maybe it doesn't. Um, I'm not necessarily the star of the story, but maybe you are, or I'm your sidekick, or we're building the story together. That is what is driving a lot of out-of-home entertainment these days. Mm -hmm. People go somewhere and they want to do something, and through the magic of immersive theater, you can kind of get removed from your everyday life. Through the magic of escape rooms and virtual reality and live action role play, you can be someone else, you can be somewhere else. And especially, personally, I'm very excited because with virtual reality, you don't necessarily have those physical bounds, right? So there's mm -hmm. a really interesting um, VR game that's getting rolled out across the country right now where it's, it's an escape room but it's in VR, and you're climbing a tower, and you're also in the Assassin's Creed world. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people are gonna come in through these different avenues and be like, hey, that was really cool. Um, what can I see that maybe is outside the headset? Oh, mm -hmm. well, did you realize that there's actually all of these very similar threads between what you've just done and theater? Right. It's interesting that you say that because I, from my perspective as a director, one of the things I'm also interested in is is implicating the audience, right? So 
uh, we did a piece called Versailles 2015 and then we did it again in 2016 and it was in it started out in my apartment and then I think Andrew you saw it at Ann Hamburger's house and um, but uh, you know you it was about income inequality right and so you went through this two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan which already a two-bedroom apartment right that's like <laughs> ah! um, and uh, so you're in the living room and they're talking about gentrification and then you're in the bedroom and then you're in the bathroom and Jonathan Matthews is doing some dance that's been commissioned by the you know woman of the house or whatever and then you go into the kitchen and people are talking about the kinds of foods that you can eat as a member of the 1% and so there are for example $4,000 mangoes, a single mango for $4,000. Yes, it's true. Um, uh, but when you're in the kitchen, we were giving you cake to eat, so which is an obvious reference to Marie Antoinette, right? So you're standing there eating cake, and again, I think when you put it in your mouth, right, and you're standing there in the kitchen, you have to know that you're implicated in this conversation, right? It's not way over there. It's not distant, it's not, the, I mean, the other thing that I love about this kind of site-based work or interactive work is the proscenium separates the doers from the watchers of the doers, right? And here we all are again, back to being the doers. And so even in cafe play, which is not interactive in the sense that um, uh, the, what was the piece on the front end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, um, or, you know, uh, a LARP or uh, gaming is interactive. But it is that you are here, you are sitting at a table. And so when somebody treats the waitress badly, you're another customer in the restaurant, you're implicated. You know, when um, there's this conversation about is it appropriate to dress as an Indian for Halloween? Um, and you know, one of the characters turns out to everybody around, and you're implicated in that conversation and in that answer. And so I think there's something too about um, we don't just get to keep it at a distance. We have to figure out how would we respond, right? I'll never forget in Walking Dead, somebody came up to me, which was a zombie piece on the frying pan, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and somebody came up to me and Nicole said, hmm? Nicole was in that too? You were not. Nicole is basically in everything. <laughs> oh. Okay, um, sidebar, when you okay. spilled water on me tonight, I thought back <laughs> to how you vomited on my shoes um, a few months ago as Trixie Pop. <laughs> and then I remembered seeing you as a medium in a different piece, and I'm pretty sure you drew on me. Yeah. So, um, so next you have a deep and meaningful yeah. relationship. Bodily fluids, yeah. I don't okay. think you... But maybe that's the next step in our relationship. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Next Some show. sort of broken we'll skin. In, Kathy, yeah. just for you in right, the next right, one that right. we do. But somebody came up to me and said something like, I'm feeling sick. And I actually couldn't tell if this was an actor speaking in character, a character speaking as themselves, or an audience member or an actor speaking as a human being. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna take care of this person. Mm -hmm. And it sort of didn't matter whether it was real or not real or this or that or the other or whatever, because it was a human being 
was a connection. Wasn't feeling well. Yeah, yeah it was a connection. Yeah. So again, I think the blurring of those boundaries is um, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've seen pieces where uh, I ended up in what was essentially a sweatshop with someone, and she uh. was yelling at the rest of us for not folding the shirts more quickly. Um, Woodshed Collective has an amazing K-pop musical yes. where the audience is literally asked to make a decision at some point and mm -hmm. I felt like just deep down in my soul that I was making the right one and everyone else was making the wrong one mm. but I could definitely see their perspective so I, one thing that's, I, I'm predicting one thing that's going to happen is the more we start to introduce elements of live action role play and that co-creation yeah. of the narrative as well as giving the audience lots of agency um, which can be good or bad, dependent on your perspective. Kellyanne right. uh, Pletcher of Green Door Labs has this amazing blog entry about how one year at Club Drosselmeyer, the winning team who solved all the puzzles decided to give the plans to the Nazis. And mm. she had to trigger the bad ending, uh -huh. which they had rehearsed but no one wanted. Mm. And when everything got executed according to plan, the audience was stunned. Mm. And she had to kind of explain to them, you made these decisions collectively, this is what happens. Yes. And right. she always has to account for a scenario where the winning team gives the plans to the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And they actually have full agency in her piece. It's really interesting. Um, it was 1939 two years ago, it was 1940 last year, and I believe this year it's going to be 1941. It happens in Boston every December. Oh. So she's taking that agency like to the next mm -hmm. level. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so does anybody else have questions, stuff they want to ask us? Don't be shy, I know half of you are actors. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Uh, for this is not a theater company. Um, well, we're uh, we're looking for other places to play cafe play, um, and uh, actually, Jonathan and I are working on a piece um, that we, we haven't started yet. So, we're, <laughs> but I will say that it is inspired by some radical empathy. Uh, that I saw at a piece in Avignon, which was, I would say, not interactive except that it was. And this woman played the, a refugee. And she came in, unlike many of these pieces about refugees where you end up feeling sorry and you end up feeling depressed, she was actually showing how, how difficult it was to be a refugee coming into France uh, in this case, but also these wonderful moments of what it was like to meet a statue in the park in the middle of the night and have a dance with the statue. And there was this one beautiful moment where she had found a baguette and she was clearly starving. And so this was her baguette. And, but a bird came up, an imaginary bird, and she gave the bird a piece of bread. And then she saw somebody in the front row and threw them a piece of bread and then another piece of bread to another person in the audience and then she counted the number of audience members and then looked at her bread and thought well okay and started sharing her bread with everyone and to me it was this just most gorgeous moment and so that's the seed of one of the next pieces we've also some of us have been working on a piece we're trying to work on a piece for the high line but that's somewhat difficult to crack for a variety of complicated reasons 
Um, so we're taking longer to develop that than you know we might. And then um, we're also talking about a piece about etiquette, um, <laughs> which because I think etiquette is fast. I mean, part of etiquette is just being considerate to other people around you. But then some aspects of etiquette um, are really about class and, right, and, you know, which fork do you use first on the table? And that's really, that's about class division. And so that's about race, class, gender, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to sort of um, try to play with what aspects of etiquette are really about consideration and being thoughtful and what aspects of etiquette are really about trying to keep people in their place. So, well, yeah. you know, but again, we're going to take a long time to develop these. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, the pieces come from, one of your questions that you emailed to me is, where do the ideas come from? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, for example, the idea for etiquette came just from, I think, some of us having ridden the subway and coming in and thinking, you know, really? You know, you're texting while you're walking down the street and expecting everybody else to move out of your way, right? And so what is that? Or, um, and then sometimes it's really about how to greet someone in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Pool play came out of partly my swimming, but also I was reading this great book that you all should read called Contested Waters which is about the history of swimming pools in the United States. And pools, at least in New York City, were first built for um, people on the Lower East Side who were living in tenements who didn't have running water or, right? So it was a place where they could recreate, but also a place to shower and be clean. And then, at a, and they were segregated by gender. So women had Tuesday and Thursday, <laughs> and men had Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. <clears throat> anyway, at the points at which the New York City pools became desegregated by gender, they became segregated by race, because people were very nervous about black men swimming with white women in the same swimming pool. And at the point at which they were desegregated by race, they became segregated by class because white flight meant that people went out to the suburbs and built their own swimming pools in their own backyards that they didn't have to share with anybody. So the swimming pool, it, at least as it's set out in this book, is a really interesting lens through which to view US culture. And so I was reading this book and doing laps in the pool and thinking about where we wanted to do a pod play and then calling, as yes, right, as, as one does, doesn't everybody? <laughs> and um, so I called Jesse and I said, we need to do this play in the pool. And then we started meeting for coffee in cafes, and um, which means you can see where the next play comes from, and began talking about, you know, various kinds of scenes. And my daughter um, was in middle school at the time and had for gym they all went swimming and so she came home she was like 11 or 12 she was like mom I have to shave my legs I said what you know you're like 12 what do you, what do you mean and I need a new bathing suit and I said well what's wrong with the bathing suit you have mom I'm going swimming with all my classmates 
And I went, right, new bathing suit, okay, here we go, right? I mean, it just was like, so at a moment when tweens are at their most insecure about their bodies and their, right, you make them, you put them in bathing suits and make them swim to the judgment of their peers. Who came up with that idea? (laughs) And so then, of course, the other thing is, if you have your period, you can't swim, right? So basically, the girls who were sitting on the bench looking at everybody else swimming might as well be wearing big signs saying, I'm menstruating now, you know, right? So it's just hugely embarrassing. So I told Jessie the story of my daughter, and she had a worse story, which ended up in the play which I won't go into now, it was really horrific. And I'm pretty sure it was true, although I'm sure, you know, Jesse's also wonderful at fictionalizing things. And, you know, so, so that was where that, so the plays come from looking at where we are in society and where we are in the world and what's, the Halloween scene that you heard tonight was in Versailles and we've recycled it for this play. Um, it's a, basically a conversation I had with my downstairs neighbor. She came to me as someone who is married to a man from India and the mother of a biracial uh, child, and she said, so, I've made my decision, but my daughter wants to dress up as an Indian for Halloween. Do you think that's okay? And I said, no, it's not. And I had to explain why. And we had this long conversation. So we've changed it a little bit to try to kind of make a scene out of it and balance it out. But so these are sometimes some of the things that come up. And I think, oh, I have to write that down. It's a scene in a play. So everyday conversations, eavesdropping. Yes, exactly. Be be careful what you drop around, Aaron. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Be careful what you say, because it will be in the next play. But so, you know, what's next comes out of the conversations that I'm having or the things that I see on the street or, you know, that kind of thing. Anything. Life. Yeah. And I believe uh, Mr. Hopner has a question. I'm curious to know how Cafe Play has changed since it first started being performed live. I find it interesting how um, site-specific plays and immersive plays, um, when you get a live audience in and you see you see, you see some things that you immediately want to either take out, you see you think of other things you immediately want to add. So I'd be curious to hear some of those stories. Well, okay, we have three different actors, so that changes everything radically, just radically, 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 radically. Um, three brilliant actors that I'm so happy to have with us and I'm so happy to have the three from last year come back. Um, So that's a big change. Um, The second thing is that we rearrange the entire structure of the scenes. So some of the scenes are the same but they're in entirely different order because I don't know why we felt the order needed to be different. It just felt different this year. So we made it different. Don't ask me why. Um, and then we cut some scenes. We added some scenes. We added a dream ballet for the waitress. We added a song. We changed the dan- what I call the dance of the body image. Um, we, I don't know, so much. feels It feels to me like the same play and yet an entirely different play in a way that I cannot articulate. 
but it's all in a different order. Some scene, we did have some scenes that we cut and we did have some stuff that we added and we did put it in a whole different order and the transitions are all different. Oh, also the other thing is last year we did it sometimes at 10.30 in the morning. So there was a breakfast show and then there was a late night show at 10. And so this is also the first time that we've done it with a three course meal with all of you eating during the show, which I really love. Um, so we didn't have as, we had some food, but not as much. So it wasn't, you didn't have as many smells and you weren't ingesting as many things and you know, yeah. So it just feels more cafe-ish to me this time. But yeah, I mean, I would also say, pipe in everybody. Wouldn't you say it also changes every night? Depending on what happens or? Mm -hmm. as we're, we're serving. Um, 
Sendo's leaps into the etiquette play that we're all talking yeah. about, too. So. Well, and you particularly have that switch. I mean, Nicole, you continue to be a server for the rest of the night, but you become that entitled yeah, customer, yeah. right? So and my a moment when I sit down, too, where people over there are like, like oh. who is she? Wait, what's oh. going on? <laughs> oh, where they they sort of think, why do you? Why yeah. are you sitting down? Right, or it's I don't know. There's always like a click into it where somebody realizes that now I'm on the other side of it. I don't know. Oh, I do that all the time. Yeah. I'm always like, who's in on it? Right. Uh, who's right. In on it? We actually did have somebody uh, the other night when it was pouring rain, which gave us a very different feeling because everybody came in kind of soaking wet and, you know, and it's a different feel in the room, right? And you deal with that. Um, uh, but somebody turned to his friends. He said, that's an actor. <laughs> so suddenly they were, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. I will say to go back to something that, Katie, that you were talking about, about feeling the vibe and feeling off it, uh, working off of it. There is, um, Marisa knows this. Um, she's heard me talk about this umpteen times. But um, many of us, or I'll speak for myself, I was raised, when I studied theater, I was taught a lot about catharsis, right? Aristotelian dramaturgical structure, right? A leads to B, B leads to C, C leads to D, and it builds and builds and builds until you get a moment of catharsis, and then there's the denouement, right? Now, Luce Irigaray, the feminist theorist, has said that this is a dramaturgical structure that is modeled on the male orgasm, which is it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds to uh, right, the tension builds, the tension builds, the tension builds, the tension builds to the release, and then there's the cigarette, I guess, would be the denouement, right? Um, but Sanskrit drama has an entirely different um, aesthetic theory known as rasa. And rasa is built on the notion of taste. The, the word literally means flavor, essence, right? So. What it is is that you're creating an emotional flavor. And rasa is also an interaction between the performer and what I'm going to call the partaker rather than the spectator or the audience member, right? So, uh, so that then we are feeding off of each other. Rasa only exists in the interaction. It doesn't exist solely in the performer or solely in the partaker but in their interaction. And I think rasa is a really useful aesthetic theory uh, when you're thinking about site-based, immersive, interactive, LARP, um, et cetera, because it really is about evoking the emotional response and it's not about building to a climax, right? It's also got a dramaturgical structure that is more fluid, right? Where you delve down deeply into a particular moment to relish it, right? And where the appetizer might come before the main course, to use the cafe play metaphor, um, and the main course might precede the, sor the lemon sorbet, but the appetizer is not a prerequisite for the entree. I mean, my mom thought vegetables were a prerequisite for dessert, but 
But in, in the sort of Aristotelian thing, if you take out any of those building blocks, you don't build to the cathartic moment. It doesn't happen, right? Whereas in rasa, you relish this moment, and then you move on and relish another moment, and then you move on and relish another moment. So this Sanskrit aesthetic theory of rasa has been very um, interesting, and I was about to say juicy, but maybe that's not, uh, I don't know. But um, you know, juice, essence, flavor, right? Taste. I also find it an interesting metaphor because it is the metaphor of taste. It is you take it into your body, right? As opposed to sight, right? Theatron, place of seeing, right? In the Greek, sight, you have to have distance to be able to focus in on something. So it is out there away from you. Whereas taste is you take it into your body. You put it on your tongue, you move it around and then you ingest, you digest, you know, so it's embodied, which I think is um, partly, Katie, what you're talking about in terms of how you relate to. It feels like a communion almost. It, it, mm. it feels that there's, I feel there's something very spiritual about it, really, that connection where you're, you're actually making eye contact with someone, and not everybody's ready for that. And if somebody isn't ready for that, then I move on to the next person who seems receptive to it. But there's this wonderful moment of, in, in rehearsal, I, I've called them, they, they feel like they're tiny little secret presents. They're all these tiny little secret gifts that happen along the way in, in this play and in a lot of uh, the work that we've done where I feel like there are moments of intimacy that are special and that not everyone necessarily gets and mm. that makes them even more special but that everyone kind of receives each individual moment there's something rare that happens mm -hmm. and there's something that makes me feel unlike any other feeling I've gotten as an actor before I keep thinking about Jeff Worth and what he talks <laughs> about right don't you yeah, um, she's been there months with him Oh, I think you, we're, we're in the room with dive? multiple people who oh, work okay. with him. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the room with lots of people who love Jeff Worth and have gotten, I mean, uh, every time he comes in yeah. to do an exercise, it's just the most amazing thing. But he talks about interactive acting in terms of what you enable for the audience, right? That agency. it's agency. But not about sort of, I'm going to do this now, and you're going to appreciate it and applaud. But sort of that you create, an ex that your role is to create an experience for the audience and mm -hmm. to give them mm -hmm. that gift. That's funny, Catherine, you were talking about the, uh, the experience, I think, in Boston. Yes. Where they, the audience has the agency to make a decision, right? Yes. That's exactly what Jeff does. Like that's mm -hmm. his sort of mo and like what he teaches and to give the audience that co-creative feeling, so that they do reach that like maximum impact because they have co-created and they have been given agency to make choices throughout the entire experience, like from zero. With Jeff's work, he even goes a step beyond and the actors are not the central characters the audience is the driving yeah. force of the narrative yeah oftentimes with Jeff it's the the participant who is the protagonist yeah right yeah it's so always the goal yeah. for, for Jeff's work mm -hmm. awesome yeah because you did he, he did that uh, South by Southwest yep yeah um, experience we did 
we did a piece in Austin with the deep dive mm. called Open Mind that ran for four days for just two participants. Uh, right. And they they really lived out this like cinematic experience where they became the stars, the protagonist in, mm. in that story. And we crafted every moment around how do I as an actor in this role, not it's not my scene, I'm not performing for this person, I am facilitating this person's story. And how do I make that person's story? Yeah, it's like the actors um, become the function by which the participants can do yeah. the things that they want to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think one thing that was touched upon is that how immersive theater is like a really powerful tool for helping the audience build empathy. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing I've seen with immersive theater is that it has like a really high barrier to entry, either in like you know ticket price, which makes sense because it's difficult to scale given the amount of individuals that are involved. But one thing I've always wondered is that the audience that comes to these shows, um, I I'm speaking for myself, I don't mean to generalize. Like we're typically the type that like you know empathizes with waitresses and waiters. Like you know like we, we understand like these perspectives and like, we have this sort of mindset. But how do you foresee like a rendition of immersive theater that kind of reaches out to these audiences that either do not have the means to like experience these shows or whether are just unaware of these shows whatsoever? Well, I can answer that and you all can probably answer this too. I mean, I will say that we have, for example, student tickets. Um, so, uh, our, first of all, our some of our tickets are 45, some are 40, some are 35, and some are 25. So we have a whole range of different possibilities depending on, um, so, but, um, and I think that's true of many other uh, pieces. It is true that there are, <coughs> I would say Sleep No More is very expensive. Um, <coughs> then she fell. Hmm? Yeah. Any third rail shows. Yeah, third rail shows are very expensive. I would say a lot of the speakeasy dollhouse stuff is very expensive. Um, but <clears throat> so to me, there is an interesting question about is this sort of theater at the before the French Revolution, you know? <clears throat> Excuse me, but I'm not necessarily sure that that's true of all of the. Yeah, for a, for a very long time, uh, all of Woodshed Collective's show were free, and right. they were pay what you can at the end. Uh -huh. It wasn't until they started doing K-pop, which was a partnership between Mai Theater Company and Ars Nova, that they began charging. I've seen right. a lot of wonderful work that's work in progress or workshopped on Governor's Island. Yes, yeah. There's also a lot of meetups where like creators are playtesting their experiences, and meetups are free to go to, and I feel like that's a really great way to get like kind of that entry point and start to kind of even like democratizing the idea of playtesting and democratizing the idea of immersive interactive. How how can I take from this like genius at Columbia and start to integrate that into maybe my own practice of democratizing mm -hmm. just the knowledge and creative practices of immersive interactive theater? So I think yeah. for me that's even a huge step beyond just having participants come for free, but how do you enable participants who might not have the education to build their own creative work as well? I will also say we always rehearse with an audience at, at some point, right? So we, and I think most of us do this, um, have test, what I call test audiences or whatever, where people come 
and we see how it plays and then they stay and give us our, their feedback and uh, we make radical changes sometimes based on what they've said and um, or based on the facial expressions that you can see. And so, yeah, I think that that's one, in, in a certain sense, one way of inviting people into workshops and things like that. And um. To add, I think the, the hardest thing about immersive, or and especially the more interactive it gets, like the more agency you have to give an audience, the larger the scale gets in terms of uh, yeah. ratio from audience member to, to, re, to actors. Yeah. So in order to give agency to 20 people, you probably need at least 20 actors, right? At least, right? And then you add in all the extra uh, you know, spectacle that you're going to see, the theatricality of it. So it's hard to, I think, for creators to kind of find that balance of you want to keep it accessible, but you also want to be able to give the experience that you're, that you're wanting to give. You want to be able to yeah. give that agency. You want to be able to give that empowerment to all the people who are who are going to spend money and come in and like hopefully live this anywhere from 90 minutes to sometimes three hours in this night. Um, so that's always a tr I mean that's definitely a struggle for me to yeah. trying to find that balance because if it were up to me I would love to either get everyone in for free or be able to like have like a $20 ticket that is yeah. like for any any and all but then you have to balance that with production cost yeah and in our case yeah. we're feeding you too so the ticket price includes the food yeah. and the you know so there's that yeah <laughs> so um you were you also mentioned though like the, the people who are here are probably the people who are aware exactly. of like how you treat your waiters and how you look in the eye, oh. which may not be the case all the that time. That is not true. Okay <laughs> <laughs> then. But the idea of like theater does draw a certain crowd, and I think that that this type of work, where it's not in a traditional setting, you don't have to dress up and go see a Broadway show. There, it is drawing a different audience than than you would traditionally see at a play. Um, so just by its very nature. I think, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think the people who want to see immersive, interactive, site-specific theater are people who are maybe from anywhere appreciative of proscenium-style theater to, like, not even wanting anything yeah. to do with it. Yeah. Or maybe they love proscenium-style theater, but they also want something that's new and innovative and different. Mm -hmm. But I also find that in this specific, like, I think the reason immersive theater is becoming so huge is because people want that connection mm -hmm. because they're having a harder time finding it in their lives on on the daily right like we live in a social media world so like what is it and I you address this in your show right mm -hmm. but like what does it mean to have a connection like a real solid connection where someone does look in your eye and touch you and have a physical like hold your hand for a minute like what does that feel like because we don't do that as often as we did 20 years ago mm -hmm. right yeah. so I think um, Maybe people who are hungry for it are in a younger generation because they've they've not been able to have that analog experience. I have to say two things about that. One of my students is behind you, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I teach at Tisch Drama. Yes, and so. I will say that many of my students, when they come as first-year students, have never had a chance 
to experience site-specific, immersive, interactive theater, and are usually very excited about it. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them, so I will, I will say that I think keeping student ticket prices and things like that is really important for people who have not ever experienced it and don't know what it is and want to try it out, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then I think, you know, I mean, I don't know. Talk about your experience or how you. I mean, I sent you all don't the put no your student on the spot. <laughs> I sent you all the no proscenium newsletter and things like that, and you looked right. through, right? And yes. yeah. I mean, this is my first time seeing an interactive and site-specific piece, and mm -hmm. so just I didn't. I had no expectation for it, and uh -huh. it it was genuinely something that I'm glad I experienced, and I want to experience again. And so just keeping in mind, and I know there's different experiences too to see. And so I was actually I was talking. Um, sorry, remind me, <laughs> Catherine. I was talking with Catherine before the show, and she was talking about the cheaper, um, the cheaper options for work for students too. So right. just keeping that. Can I ask you a question? What was your What was the thing that surprised you the most, or shocked you the most, or? Okay, so I, I don't know. I've seen like theaters around, and I've seen different venues, but just being, I don't know. It was also just the structure of the play that uh -huh. I found was very interesting. How it's not one full story because that's what I'm used to. It's one mm. thing after the other, and then like the ending. with accessibility, with price accessibility, is there are two groups um, that we want to treat well. Um, we want to treat our performers well, right? yeah. we want to pay them well, yeah. and who's providing that money? It's the audience who we don't want to overcharge, yeah. right? And, um, and that's usually where the money comes from. Like in order to give you, I don't want to pay you Twenty dollars for having been here this whole evening. You don't want to give me twenty dollars. <laughs> I want to give you a hundred dollars, right? <laughs> but I don't want to charge you a hundred dollars for stepping in this room, right? Yeah. And um, we can identify very quickly these three uh, things we had to pay for tonight. We had to pay for the performers, we had to pay for the room, and we had to pay for the food. Right. And uh, and we would hope that the performers take home like 50 to 150 dollars and then when you think about a room in New York City and you think about a three-course meal that yeah. adds up really fast and then it don't forget about the creative team yeah. right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, you, then you think about the rehearsals the most amount of time and they're first the writer, to give up their pay absolutely yeah. I actually almost always give up my pay yeah. No. yeah no I mean it's true because I actually would rather give that money to my performers then keep it myself. I just budgeted a show last night, not paying myself. <laughs> yeah. You know? I always do so. it in theory in the budget. And it's then always I like, always oh, we'll take equity if there's equity, right? Yeah. Or if there's like profit. Yeah. But, yeah. but this is, I mean, this is, you know, what many European companies and theaters don't have to deal with because they have government funding. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I, I think we, we are dealing with a systemic 
thing. And partly that's also um, uh, a symptom of a larger cultural issue, which is where are the arts in this country and also, how do we view them? I don't know if you mm -hmm. found this. It's also very difficult to explain to traditional grants what yeah. immersive and interactive theater right. is like sometimes. what you're trying to achieve yeah it's yeah. like oh are you are you a theater piece well yes but yeah. it's also different right and it's, it's also you can't always show them the script because the right. script is they're I'm going to draw on the yeah. tablecloth with you with crayons and that's they're like really, that's not a script yeah. we're like no no really yes. that's a whole dance you know yeah. you put a piece of chocolate in your mouth and listen to this piece of music and they're like that's not a script right they're like well okay yeah it's so hard yeah. they're like oh we need at least like a 60 page script and it's like most interactive scripts are not that long right you know right it's like right. yeah challenging get that money get that government money in Europe there's also tax deductions for arts using empty spaces right as yes. opposed to liability issues right <laughs> yeah and on that note, I'm, I'm sensing that the room, uh, yes. we're all ready it to is, go home It's a for the school evening. night. We've been yeah. talking for over an hour. So Thank you all yes. so much for thank coming. Thanks all for participating, asking questions. Yeah. And thank you, Erin, for so having much. this gathering after you've worked basically the entire you, today was a two show day am i correct two show two day, show day yeah. and then we did yeah. a talk back after so yeah thank you thank you thank all you right. so much all right good night everybody good, good night, night. once again i want to thank Catherine for moderating, Aaron Me for being uh, the guest and inviting us in to do this talk back about uh, This Is Not a Theater Company's latest show, and for everyone who showed up uh, and participated. Because, um, yeah, like I said, this is something that uh, definitely am interested in pursuing more of. So, if you're a creator out there and you want to have us do a talk back on your show, hit us up. We're down. Okay. Um, mostly because, like, you know, there's only so many, like, hey, let's just sit down and talk for an hour episodes you can do. I'm sort of feeling that right now. It's like, oh, we've talked to everyone we can get our hands on in L.A. and New York, uh, more or less. And um, we're, we, you know, uh, if we had a travel budget, well, we'd be doing some other stuff. Uh, but then that goes into, like, the begging for money. And we're not going to do that right now. Um, instead, let's, um, let me give you a little, uh, a little taste of... Uh, <laughs> Somehow turn into like, oh, listen to the irregular. Give me five dollars, and I'll tell you everything. Um, got to go to Meow Wolf this week, and it was uh, the whole trip to Santa Fe uh, to to New Mexico, which I I had driven through New Mexico when I was like a little kid. I know because uh, we went on the Greyhound across country and I was very excited about being in Albuquerque because, of course, that's where Bugs Bunny always uh, fails to make a left turn. Um, but if you don't fail to make a left turn at Albuquerque, you wind up, at least if you're coming from Southern California, you wind up in Santa Fe. Santa Fe, which is the number three art market in the country. And if you don't believe me, go to Santa Fe and be like, Wow, there are a lot of galleries here. Um, it is the home of Meow Wolf, uh, which uh, started as an artist collective uh, and has turned itself into, uh, you know, look, I mean, they help pay the bills. So please, you know, break out some salt. 
but you know, at the same time, like I've got the bard's tongue, so it's hard for me to like, just like puff things up for the sake of puffing things up. Um, they're one of the more interesting, if not the most interesting company in the arts entertainment space, um, in the nation, because for starters, they're a B Corp. Um, which means they're a public benefit corporation, which means they get to do things like dump money into this podcast <laughs> that, a, that a normal corporation would have to be like, I need to see the returns. You need to show me clearly how this is going to work and, and how I'm going to get 5,000 clicks every time you do a podcast to sell our supplements. By the way, NoPro now has a line of supplements. Uh, it's just chocolate. That's the whole joke. Um, there's <laughs> anyway, so Meow Wolf, um, I'll, I'll tell the full version of the story. Cause, uh, there's all these synchronicities and funkiness and it's a little, it's a bit travel loggy. Um, but you want to know about the house of eternal return, um, which I'm sure you've seen pictures of. And indeed I had the unique, I would almost say I was thinking of it as unfortunate, but I'm actually glad I did. I had the unique experience of watching the Meow Wolf documentary, Meow Wolf Origin Story, um, a review for which we have up on the site, which was done. Uh, I believe Amanda Amanda Shuckman, who just did our Nicodemus review, wrote it up um, out of the viewing at South by. Uh, it's going to be screening uh, in November, one like one night, big, you know, 600 theaters or something like that. We just posted something up. I'll, put, I'll try and put it in the show notes. Um, so I got to watch that at uh, the Jean Cocteau uh, Cinema in Santa Fe over, over at the rail yard. Um, and uh, itself a very cute theater, uh, you know, that's kind of you know, b- bigger than a screening room, uh, smaller than um, than like, you know, a, a big theater, um, but but really nifty. Um, more on that, uh, in the wax poetic version of this, he says, as he tells the, the medium shaggy dog story. Um, so I got to watch that there and, um, get the backstory of who everybody was and well, not who everybody was, it was like 300 people. Um, but who a lot of like the core players are the co-founders. Um, there's, there's, there's a story to, to what they do, you know, people leaving, coming back, love, loss, the whole thing. Um, and I'm trying not to spoil it for you. And there was a lot of footage of, uh, of the house and I've seen a lot of pictures of the house and, you know, I was like, is this gonna, you know, is this going to spoil the surprise of what the house is? Nope. Nope. It's like, um, I mean, the Disneyland thing is apt because, uh, except it's even denser than Disneyland. Um, the house of eternal return has a fractal sensibility in the sense that there's, there's narrative and symbol and meaning just, just baked into every inch and a piece of wallpaper. And I'm not even talking about the AR stuff they're doing because they're doing AR stuff now too, but like a piece of wallpaper in one room, um, can, can suggest a thread of a story whose elements are more visible in another room or a piece of art. Um, this idea that there's this anomaly uh, in space time that connects the entire multiverse. And, and you know, when I say things like that, it's like, Oh God, is this no, it is making this up. No, this is their story, but it's, it's my wheelhouse. Um, you don't read 30 years worth of DC comics and not be like the multiverse. <laughs> um, that this, this, that this is this um, nexus 
in space and time. Um, it, the, it, it's all about execution. Th- that's really what I keep coming back to this year on everything that really moves the needle for me is ideas are great. Ideas are wonderful. Um, I love going to workshop productions. I love watching people figure things out. What moves the movement forward is execution. Execution, um, which includes knowing like, okay, yeah, no, we, we can't pull that one off. Um, that's, that's just too sick as the kids at Meow Wolf would say, uh, just too sick, man. Um, so that was something I picked up while I was there. Uh, and, and indeed, you know, one day your two sick dreams may come true, but the um, p- pulling it off, the prestige, pulling off the trick, um, they did it, and then some. I could spend, and I spent about, I only got to spend about four hours total, um, like three hours on the day I came in, and uh, one hour on the day I left. Um, there's all sorts of stuff I was running around doing. Um, I, I could spend a few days and and not absorb everything that's in the House of Eternal Return. And that's just a converted bowling alley. <laughs> and the Denver and the Las Vegas projects are bigger. They're bigger. There's something going on down there. And there's... They're, they're a young company. They're still, they're still, you know, figuring out a lot of stuff. They're, you know, they're not building the plane as they're flying it. Not anymore. They're, they've gotten to like, oh, we need to build a runway first. Uh, like they, they know that part. Um, there's so much potential there and there's so much, um, and not even potential. Like there's so much already there, right? That that's, what's exciting. There's a, there there, there in Santa Fe. And I was super honored uh, for them to yank me out. And I wish that I had had the whole week. And at some point, I'm going to take a whole week. And that's that. And if uh, if you can make your way there, uh, it is only an hour drive from Albuquerque. A pretty straight shot. Uh, a bit boring. Except in a thunderstorm on the way back, um, which is what I got. Um, which is really, put how should put quotes on it, fun. Um... The uh, Priscilla was just nodding Priscilla because uh, Priscilla was roughly there around the same time. Um, so th- th- you'll hear that story on the irregular. Um, the uh, yeah, uh, I found the one comic book shop in Santa Fe, uh, you know, which is the one comic book shop in northern New Mexico. Uh, you know, CBD is really big. Uh, <laughs> and Chile, Chile's, Chile's, uh, Chile, ugh. NPR voice. Um, uh, if if you like if you like the warm stuff the hot stuff you are in good hands. Uh, if you're the kind of person who likes a chili rano like I do, one of my favorite things. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, Santa Fe did everything it could to seduce me to make me leave Los Angeles. And uh, for a hot minute there, I was like, this is this is a, this is, this could be a life. This could be a life. You know, then I looked on Zillow and I was like, eh, same difference as Los Angeles. So you know, I'm here. No, I'm. Um, but yes, I'm, I didn't actually look on Zillow. Maybe I should. Um, all right. Yeah, this is the short version of it. Uh, the travel log. You know, what is it I'm saying? You should go. Just go. Don't wait for Vegas. Don't wait for Denver. Just go.
All right. The, uh, how can you find us at No Persinium? Well, there's a few ways. One, we're at nopersinium.com. We're always there 24 hours a day, <laughs> sleeplessly. No, mostly. We're at No Persinium on Twitter. We're at No underscore Persinium on Instagram. And it is very important that people follow us on Instagram, even if you know you just have a defunct account, because uh, at 10,000 followers, Oh, we unlock some special powers and abilities that we'd really like to have and uh, want uh, without, you know, paying a bunch of third party providers to give us 10,000 followers. Um, why Instagram allows people to make money off them that way? I don't know. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm at Noah G. Nelson on Twitter. Uh, again, it's at no underscore proscenium on Instagram at no proscenium on Facebook. I know it's, it's complicated. Um and if you have a show you want to tell us about, pitches at nopersinium.com. Those are all the ways to get a hold of us. We try to be as responsive as possible. Uh, Catherine is the one who really manages that um, in a way that uh, terrifies me half the time. Um, so, like, boundless boundless ability and energy, um, as opposed to a creaky old me. Um, what else is there out in the world? Uh, yeah, Um the music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are bum, 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 Jan Butman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Arthur Tubman, Bar- Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Can't get through reading a line of text without screwing it up. I'm a professional, everybody. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash No Persinium is how you join their ranks. Um, and Meow Wolf, uh, keeps the lights on, uh, in a serious way. Okay. Um, that's it. That's all. That's the show. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. Mm-hmm.